Welcome to Help From Future Self. Hey, what's happening, Archons? Welcome to another episode of Help From Future Self, a conversational Keyforge podcast by Keyforge Friends. My name is Scuzzy Gruen, some call me Alex, and I am joined, as always, by my Keyforge comrades, my Keyforge bros, my Keyforge buddies. We got the wheeling Keyforger, Rick. Hey, what's up? And Coach Boulevard Paper Fight. What's happening, Blake? Hey, everyone. How's it going? As always, an eventful week in the game of Keyforge, especially for those sitting around the virtual table right now recording this podcast. We had uh, some store championships this past weekend. Indeed we did, yeah. The first of the season, so to speak. Yep. Things are kicking into overdrive here in Vancouver right now. We were sitting down yesterday to figure out the calendar for upcoming events, and uh, we kept getting confused because it's like, all right, Worlds collide on this date. The following weekend, we got Prime Championships. Weekend after that might be store championships for another store, but it might be the weekend following that. Then we got the store championships at this store. So it's just been this nonstop, like there's always some kind of a Keyforge event happening, um, which is really exciting because it means that if you can't make it to one event, there's always going to be another one coming up. And if you can make it to all the events, then you're going to get to play a lot of high-level Keyforge, which is a good time. Which is what I'm hoping I can do. Oh, yeah. So this past weekend at uh, the store, we were playing Sealed, and I think that part of what we're going to be talking about today is assessment of decks, both in Sealed, but also as it relates to one of the major tools that people use to assess the uh, strength of their Keyforge decks. Because unless you've been living under a rock, you know that the new version of Decks of Keyforge site dropped with a brand new algorithm for calculating deck strength, and oh my goodness, um, the Keyforge internet lost its mind. Um, some people really angry. Um, there was a bunch of really great uh, podcasts where the folks behind DOK sort of explained the rationale behind the change. But the long and the short of it is that a lot of decks dropped numerically from where they were previously. Um, if you're familiar with how version three of decks of Keyforge used to work, there was decks that were well up into the hundreds, like you're seeing things at 107, 108. I think there might have even been 109. Now, the highest rated deck on all of DOK is a 94. So the percentiles have changed. Things have really changed. Gentlemen, um, did you get a little bit of weird sticker shock the first time that you logged on to DOK and saw like the way that everything had changed? I big time did. I was like, what the heck is going on here? Yeah, for, for me, it, was, it wasn't so much the drop. It was that certain decks that did drop. That is more what did it for me. I was surprised that they dropped to what they did in relation to other decks. That's more the one that kind of startled me, not the actual number value itself. It was in relation to everything else. I have to recommend that if you haven't heard Nathan from Decks of Keyforge's appearances on both uh, the Fifth Planet Keyforge podcast and uh, the Wookiees Archon Corner podcast, go listen to them because he lays out the rationale behind the change and what the actual nature of the change was. And after listening to both of them, although it's still going to take me a while, I think, to really grasp the way that it calculates scores now, his rationale for wanting to make the change is really sound. And ultimately, it's that he wants Decks of Keyforge to always be accurate, but always to be expandable. And the way that it had been originally programmed, algorithmically, it was not giving the most accurate numbers. But, uh, you know, they're already working on some adjustments and some changes. Um, Nathan completely acknowledged that Arise is overrated in certain synergies, so they're going to be fixing that. It's always going to be a living, uh, you know, I think, 
project in terms of the way that they look at it. And it's never going to be just, you know, set it and forget it, especially as new sets come out. Um, and even in the time since that update has happened, there has been so much like going on in terms of, you know, they now have a site on Dex of Keyforge that shows you every single card in Worlds Collide before the release of the set. You know, you can now actually scan in your Worlds Collide decks and they're clearly working towards it so that by date of release, you'll be able to have your decks there present and it'll calculate scores for you. You know, uh, I, I got to commend everybody involved with DOK just because, my goodness, like they are putting in such amazingly good work. Um, and it was a, a little bit of a, a, d a disheartening to me just to see the number of people that kind of like freaked out at them over the change when I think ultimately the change was undertaken for positive and altruistic reasons. Yeah, the interesting thing, too, um, when you touched on the Worlds Collide is you can actually import them into your your kind of profile on Dex of Keyforge. It just doesn't show any numbers for it. but they still have the scores exist. Like they're still there that you're just not seeing them. So your decks, like those, those decks will still kind of show up within your ranking system. And they're obviously going to change as the set develops more. And he's updating everything uh, in terms of the internal synergies and whatnot, but you can kind of get an idea of where they stand within your collection. You just won't see the the details of what the, the numbers mean at this point necessarily. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. One, one thing I found as well is, um, with this new number changes, it's it's skewed people's perspective, I think, is all it is. It's nothing has changed. It's just their perspective on everything has changed as a result of this. And it's kind of, I guess, some people freaked out because of that. But one thing I found is a great tool is if you look at the stars that exist next to the the actual SAS score where the base arc and, and synergies and anti-synergies are, you'll, you'll find there's a, a, new, a number of stars there. If you hover over that, that will kind of give you an idea of where your, your deck falls in terms of power within the overall amount of decks that are on decks of Keyforge. So you can kind of get a better idea of the strength of the deck because it may say 70, but then you look at that, those stars and it says it's in the top something percent of, of decks of Keyforge. So you don't need to really think of 70 as 70%, which, and I think that's kind of what people are at right now when they, when they view that. One thing that really, really shocked me when I looked at DOK was uh, one of my decks that was in the mid range of all of my decks it is actually now ranked higher than my uh, Coda Time Traveler deck, which really shocks me. Yeah, I had the I had a similar experience. A couple of decks went up near scores of other decks that I already knew and held in high regard, and this was a deck I was less familiar with. And I decided to take it for a test drive on on the Crucible as a result. So that's also kind of a cool thing about this is some decks you may have overlooked now kind of put themselves within the mix in a different way than they were before. Mm-hmm. And I think that actually is one of the more interesting aspects of this happening. Totally agree. Right now, the the average of a deck is 62. So middle of the pack on decks of Keyforge is 62. So if you have a deck that's 62, that's average. And anything above is above average, below below average, basically. So that's I think that's a very interesting thing to keep in mind. It's all about perspective, really, with this. And, and that's all that we yeah. want to kind of touch on here is that keep the perspective in mind and try and find some new gems now that you may be looking from a different perspective. Yeah. And of course, as always, as much as I'm talking sugar about decks of Keyforge as this wonderful tool provided to the community by the community, remember there is no replacement for playing your decks and no matter how good DOK gets at assessing the value of cards and synergies within specific decks, there's always going to be cases where a deck that is not, well-rated does very well in certain formats and in certain areas. Um, case in point, 
You won a tournament this weekend with a deck that is not super highly rated by any metric that I'm aware of. Isn't that right, Blake? Uh, yeah, that's correct. All right. So we're going to talk a little bit about over-unders, and I think we can use that as sort of an extension of the way that, uh, you know, your deck was able to win, go 7-0 and uh, in sort of our, our two-sealed elimination. So the way Sealed Survivor works is that you get your two decks with your entry fee. Um, if you don't like the look of one of them, you have the option for a $10 mulligan, but you have to take the mulligan deck. You literally cannot take just the two original decks if the mulligan deck is the one that you didn't care for. It's exactly like if you're doing a mulligan in the game with your hand. Like, what you redraw is what you're playing with from then on. Exactly, exactly. And I think that added a really interesting analytical element to it, which is, what are the chances of me getting something better than one of these decks that I'm already holding? And I believe that the deck that you ended up winning with, Blake, was your mulliganed deck. Is that correct? It was, yeah. And did you think that that was going to be a winning deck when you pulled it as your mulligan? No, I was shook. <laughs> I thought I made a mistake in the mulligan, but I mean, I, I kind of realized that this was probably going to be the last time I'm cracking AOA. And so I thought, you know, this is a good value. This is a fun day. Uh, let's let's just roll the dice. For the benefit of the folks who are listening from the United States and around the world, $10 Canadian, which is like what, like $750 US, is a very good price for a deck of Keyforge here. So why not? Normally they're 15 Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so... Uh, let's get to it. Uh, let's start with over under and, uh, Blake, I think I have an idea of what yours might be. What card over or underperformed for you in this tournament that we played this past weekend? Well, Alex, uh, anyone who was there and saw me play will know that Piranha Monkeys were my overperformer this week. They were just fantastic and I actually jammed a game of Worlds Collide with my friend last night and there was Piranha Monkeys in that deck and it also put in <laughs> a lot of work for me. So I have to say that the Monkeys are just going bananas right now for me. It's great. <laughs> yeah, I'm just I'm just absolutely loving Piranha oh, Monkeys. That's great. And I know other decks that I have with them now, and it's like I got a new perspective on how Piranha Monkeys play, and that's why they've been overperforming for me. Part of this deck is it had some glimmers in it as well, so sometimes I would recur uh, the Monkeys, and there were two Piranha Monkey cards in my deck, so they were putting in work. How about you, uh, Rick? What was your, uh, your over-under for this? Uh... Actually, I kept my two decks that I got at the beginning. And if we go back to the beginning of AOA coming out, I did a uh, card analysis on these these two cards that I wanted in a, in a deck. And I finally, this weekend, got both cards in a deck. Nice. And they are the Penpacka Twins. Oh, yeah. You were super excited about those. Yeah. Penpacka Anga is five power and it gives plus two to everything every creature to the right of it and i got two copies of penpacka jaga which is give skirmish to everything on the left of it so i didn't unfortunately do well because i haven't played with them very much so i didn't know how they interacted but they definitely put in the put in the work when they were there so it was definitely fun to see so were they overperforming for you yeah i i would think they overperformed and Alex, how about you? What was your uh, over-under for this uh, this week? I got an underperformer, gents. Um, I managed to bone myself multiple times with these cards. Um, one of the decks that I pulled, T. Grumble, Monk of the Arrogant Academy, had two Ancient Yurks in it. So here's the problem with having two Ancient Yurks. If they're both in the hand at your same time, it is almost impossible to play both of them. Because what happens is you play one Ancient Yurk, 
It goes down, hits the table. You have to throw out three cards from your hand, and chances are, unless you have no other discard, like if unless there's a way that you can sort of work it so that you're getting rid of non-discards or other cards that you can't play, most of the likely that other Ancient Yurk ain't hitting the table. Like you're probably going to end up having to play that Ancient Yurk if you're playing any other discards. And it just, it was one of those things where even though they were powerful bodies, they they messed up my hands so badly. I think that Ancient Yurk is too much discard. I think old Yurk at two discard is great. I think a single Yurk with one discard is fantastic. But this was not a deck that benefited from high cycle. Um, and so just th- they ended up every time I drew into one, it ended up me being like, well, I'm either discarding the ancient Yurk and losing a card value or, you know, I'm, I'm playing it down so I can get a body onto the table and and possibly suffering out of three cards. So I think that Ancient Yurk is one discard over the line in terms of actual utility. Two of them in a deck together that you might draw in the same hand is absolutely backbreaking. So, yeah, not a big fan of the Ancient Yurk, I gotta say. That's interesting. I, I'm a big fan of Ancient Yurk. I have a deck that has all of the Yurks in it. It's my my uh, my best deck actually has it. And it's it's becoming detached from the cards, and it's definitely an experience thing that helps mm-hmm. play that card. So getting in sealed and not having a lot of experience with it, I could see how that would be troublesome. And I mean, having some exhumes help as well, because then you can discard things and be like, "Oh, I'm going to play it right now with the exhume," yeah, which is a, a great combo. And I'm guessing you did not have that privilege. I actually did deck. have an exhume, um, so I was able to sort of get around it. Um, also, I pulled uh, a, a classic misplay which is that I exhumed um, an ancient Yurk back into play, thinking this is going to get me around the discard. And uh, no, as it turns <laughs> out, uh, I had forgotten that the way that exhume works is you play the creature as if it belonged in the active house and was in your hand. It literally says as if it was from your hand on the card. <laughs> so I yep. basically managed to like blow out my own hand. So, you know, that's oh, that's man. not on the ancient Yurk or on exhume. That's on, on your boy Scuzzy Gruen. That was his error. <laughs> It happens. It does happen, man. It does. I got to say, guys, like there was some weird uh, stuff going on because we all witnessed like some pretty weird misplays. I know that I misplayed a bunch of times in my games against both of you. Me too. I misplayed too. Um, I would like to use this opportunity, one, to apologize to Rick for a mistake that I made in our game that I think, you know, if you weren't cool with it, I would have, you know, I, I, I felt pretty bad about it. And it probably would have been a concession if we hadn't been able to sort of reassemble it with your patience. So I really want to uh, uh, commend you on being a sportsman in that regard. Um, uh, I would like to explain what happened here, which was... I was going to say, I don't know what you're talking about. Do you remember when I played the flex? I think so, yeah. Many moons ago, I said on this very podcast, and I'm going to have to take my medicine on this one, read the name of the card and the text of the card before you play it to make sure it's the card you think it Uh is. I thought that the flex was might makes right, and I was blowing out my board to forge a key to win the game. Oh, right. And I started gathering up all of my cards that were in front of me with all of the amber that I was captured on them and various other damage tokens. And thankfully, Jonathan Donegan, former guest of this podcast, good friend of everybody here, said, Alex, that's not how the flex works. You think it's might makes right, but it's actually the one that exhausts a creature and gets you amber. And Rick, you were kind enough to let me reassemble the board and that we could continue the game. Well, you actually have to technically because you would have to reassemble the board. Well, no, I mean, I think the other thing would have been that we would have called a judge. And the judge, I think, at a certain point... It's like if you couldn't put it back to the previous game state, Mm -hmm. 
then, then concession. Then I something think. would happen. Yeah. It would, but and you'd get a warning probably either way. I'm guessing. Yeah. But aside from that, I don't think it would be that serious because it's. Yeah, that's that's interesting. That's an interesting one, I must say. It was a massive misplay on my part, and I, I just want to commend Rick for his sportsmanship in that one because uh, if it hadn't been a friend across the table from me, um, I, I feel like I probably would have just conceded out of pure shame. Yeah, Duncan, if you're listening to this, if you could reach out to one of us and tell us what would actually happen in a tournament if you did that, I'd be uh, very curious to know. Yeah, that would be interesting. Anyway, that's a help from future self lesson. Don't make the mistakes I did. Um, did you guys see any weird misplays in your games? Not that I recall. But. Yeah, there was there was a bunch actually. It was I felt like it was happening all day with everyone. Yeah, there was there was a bunch. It was really um, I don't know. It was it was kind of a weird a weird thing. I feel like there was something going on because I saw so many misplays. I had opponents misplay. I misplayed. Like I don't know what was going on because I mean we we have so much experience with AOA. It wasn't like anything like that it was it was very weird i don't know what was going on i don't know if it was because this is a store championship and i guess in the local scene it's a higher pedigree of tournament mm-hmm. probably the highest pedigree of tournament we've had available in the local scene so yeah that's the only thing i can think of it's it's tournament nerves because it was super weird yeah i mean and we're talking about people that we play with all the time and we're all comfortable around each other and they're friendly games i really want to stress that we had a great turnout yep. for this particular store championships but i mean even amongst the people that we didn't know super well like everybody was really friendly nobody was being a jerk there was lots of handshakes there was lots of laughs lots of smiles i mean that was probably the best part of the whole day for me was just how much of a community event it felt like but it was yes. a little oh, bit yeah. weird just to think of like man you know, if it's like this in this environment, what's it going to be like for us when we're facing down actual like hostile players from another place when we go to like a vault tour or something like that? But uh, well, it's just yeah. I mean, you just play it as it lies. If you make the mistake, you make the mistake. And that's just the way it is. The thing is, you just you just keep going. And it does happen. I mean, it, it happens like it happens all the time. It doesn't matter how how well versed you are. You can still just have a mental lapse for one moment and things like that can happen. doesn't matter how good of a player you are, especially you guys got to realize we had also a long day as well. Mm-hmm. Like that was in terms of the local yeah, scene, when you're playing triad or survivor, those are going to be your longest tournaments that you run into. And and that's, I think that was part of it too. There's, there's definitely a degree of mental fatigue that can lead to um, not optimized play. Let's just say. Absolutely fair. Absolutely fair. Reflecting on this, is this a format that you'd like to revisit for a future event or do you prefer, do you think like straight sealed? No, no, no. I love the survivor. Like that's so my personal opinion on Keyforge in general is I can't wait for the day when tournament standard is a best of three. There's far too many chances of drawing bad that you need. Like a deck can be amazing and you get a bad draw and you're out. I yep. like any format that allows an opportunity for the RNG to not be a factor in why you lose or win a game. Mm-hmm. I would definitely agree with that, especially too now that we've had those experiences where it's like you're playing with your best deck and it just isn't your day. Like a single mm-hmm. elimination is a tough road to hoe, especially when it comes to that. Um, yeah. I had a blast playing with you guys. We have yet another event coming up this weekend on Sunday at uh, Magic Stronghold here in Vancouver. If you are a Vancouver person listening to this right now, we hope to see you out there. Everybody's bringing out the sauce. Have you guys got your deck picked out? Oh, yeah. I think I do. I know exactly what I'm bringing. Do you feel confident with these choices? Are these decks that you know well? Is it something special you've been saving for this or something you've been really working out with? I think both of you actually know 
if you thought about it for 30 seconds, exactly what I'm bringing. Yep. I've seen you training with it. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I think that Rick and I have taken the same philosophy, which is we picked a deck for this particular event way early on, and we've just been putting in time on it, trying to get the maximum number of reps in so that we fully 100% understand it, because that's the kind of player Rick and I are. I think, Blake, you and Jonathan are much more able to you know, understand lines of play in decks very quickly, whereas I think Rick and I just need those reps. Mm-hmm. We need to get in 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 games just to understand exactly how things work. The only hint as to what deck I'm bringing, it's from Coda. Yeah, I, I don't think you'll be alone in that, pal. Um, this also might be the moment where uh, I think we've talked about before the fact that we might be seeing in Worlds Collide a lot of anti-Coda cards and some Coda hate. And now that I've read like the actual list of cards that are available in Worlds Collide, I got to say, I think that it's real and the threat's going to be real. Oh, so yeah. the, the days of Coda dominance might be on the wane. So this might be your time to get in those hot Coda decks and get the uh, the maximum value out of them before uh, Worlds Collide comes in and starts wrecking up the joint. Yeah. Yep. We'll see. All righty. We'll have a report on that event uh, coming up very shortly, but it is time for everybody's favorite segment. We like to call this one... Help from Future Self. It's something where we give a little bit of advice to the listeners, a little lesson that we learned, something that we took away from a game and thought, I would like to share that with the community at large. Blake, I understand you have something for us this week. Yes, it's it's an interesting one. So in my store championship deck that I played, it had two wild wormholes in it. And it was kind of interesting... Uh, there's kind of like, I guess I got to go back, backtrack with this a little bit. So with my store championship deck, I managed to go 7-0 and on the day. I got lucky in a couple games. And I was like, afterwards, I was like, wow, this deck was my first deck that I thought was going to be not the best one. And it managed to to put in the work. And one of the things was I really understood how it played because it had like no Ember control. Mm-hmm. It had two Shulers and that was the only way I could take you off a key. That was it. And I still managed to get there through the race. And... I decided to do an experiment and I brought it to Monday's Chainbound and I played that deck exclusively against Coda decks on Monday and I just got beat 0-3. But I didn't get blown out in any games. They were all like went down to key three, every single one of them. So the deck and the deck did exactly what it was supposed to. It wasn't like there was something weird happen. It did exactly what it was supposed to do and did on the weekend. It's just in the realm of Coda. Like it's... It's like, unfortunately, we have to say that AOA is not a test for Coda. Like there are obviously a couple outliers, but more often than not, you're going to be falling up short. And now there's so many stats that kind of prove this. And it's really unfortunate, but it is what it is. Mm-hmm. So yep. I wanted to just do a test with a deck that that just did really well in a weekend sealed, bring it into the wild and see how it does against decks where people are bringing some good decks and see how it performs. And it just, it performed, it just didn't stand up to the opposition. That's all it was. So that was an interesting thing. But through all of these games, because I basically got 10 games in, in basically two get two days, two tournament days with this deck. And one thing I learned is Wild Wormhole is an amazing card, but you have to be very aware of what you're playing. Like you don't just, like now for myself, I never ever will play a Wild Wormhole off the cuff. Right before I play Wild Wormhole, I'm looking at my Archon card, taking a look at all the cards in there that are flags for if I pull this right now, what is the detriment to my gameplay potentially? Like, what is the worst case scenario? Look through my discard, see what's happened. Look at that sort of like evaluate all the situations 
and then decide whether it is worth playing or not. And this I've done a few times now. I had a couple decks and I and I started doing this where before I play the wormhole, I actually evaluate the probability of getting a card that can really bite me in the ass. And I and I found it's really powerful and I and I didn't get get really hurt by this. Um, there was a couple things that came as a surprise, but I made sure that I was prepared for the consequences of playing that card if I so desired to play it. So that's one thing I've I've realized when you're playing those cards that create a effect that you're not prepared for. So one could be like a Merkins where you're playing something off the top of someone's deck. If you're able to see their Archon list, make sure you kind of like know that you have a Merkins and you're going to have to be playing their list. What things could come and be a detriment to your game and just be very aware of that because i've seen a lot of people play a wild wormhole in a way that is really negative for what they're trying to achieve and i just think that if you took a second to evaluate the card pool and what has and has not come yet so you kind of know how many cards there are in between that potential it's it can just really save you some heartache in the long run yep that is an excellent excellent lesson to learn um was there a particularly bad wild wormhole moment for you no, I di- I honestly didn't have one. I actually I did I did my homework. The the one thing I was afraid of was getting a save the pack when my creatures were damaged was a big one. Uh the other one that I was worried about was a second piranha monkeys potentially coming out, so it's already damaged and then doing more which would have been dual, but it was more the save the pack cuz um yeah, that one was the big worry. So I was kind of watching out for for that card more so than any other. Aside from that, oh no, there was the ultimate one I was worried about was the bronze key imp. Because if my opponent <laughs> forged, forged a key before me and I still hadn't, and I put myself in check that turn, and then I drop a bronze key imp on myself, that one was the scariest. And I think I actually would hold off calling logos if I hadn't had that card yet until I forged my first key. Because that was the one that would be an absolute detriment. Because then it's on my board. I have to deal with it. I'm delaying myself. Like I felt like that would have been the biggest shooting myself in the foot. Now, I got a question because I don't remember. When we were playing Blake, you wormholed into a second wormhole. What yep. was the third card? I think it was a Tesmol. It was a Tesmol okay. or a Yurk, one of those. I think it was the Yurk, but I don't remember yeah, exactly. It was it, a because I didn't creature. even realize that you had the Tesmol out. Yeah, one of the, one of the ways my deck won was I would I would get the bronze key imp out as a as like ember control so to stop my opponent forging, but we both stop. And then just yep. start trying to burst Ember ahead so that I have three keys worth of Ember by the time I'm getting rid of the Bronze Key Imp and just have that advantage and hopefully a board that distracts my opponent from doing the same idea yeah. of getting a lot of Ember. So that was one of my tricks. But it yeah. was it was definitely a race that game. Yeah, it was. All right. We got to get out of here very shortly. Uh, parting is such sweet sorrow. Thank you very much for listening to Help from Future Self. And thank you to everybody who's been reaching out to us on The Crucible, on Twitter, via email, and elsewhere to say how much they enjoy the podcast. Um, that means everything to myself. And I know when Blake and Rick feel the exact same way. Um, we do this yep. podcast out of love for Keyforge and out of love for the Keyforge community that has given so much to all of us. Um, and we really feel like it's a small thing we can do to give back. So the fact that people actually see value in it, um, it means a huge amount to us. So thank you so very, very much. You can find me as Scuzzy Gruen on Twitter and on Instagram and on The Crucible. What about yourself, Rick? I am on The Crucible at Rickster78 and The Wheeling Keyforger on Twitter. How about you, Blake? 
And you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at BLVD Paper Fight. That's Boulevard Paper Fight. And I'm uh, starting to get on YouTube again now that the Vault Tour preparation is over and doing some more Crucible and Coffee. And I'll have a new segment coming out very soon that I'm excited to share with everyone. Interesting. All right. And with that, we are out of here. Thank you very much for listening. And until next time, stay fortunate.